every week or so, I will print a picture that I took that week and I'll handwrite a note on the back where I recognize a strength in my two boys and my wife and I will hand those pictures out at dinner. So I'll say, oh, Ocean, this was when you were in your first karate class and you were so patient and you were listening. So I created a system like I would do at work to recognize people at our weekly L10 meeting. What are highlights? What are headlines? I will recognize my family for things they're doing right. Welcome to Pivot Me, where we give business tips and mental hacks so you can move past your biggest obstacles and live the life you've earned. And now your host, business advisor and performance expert, April Garcia. For years, I made large companies larger and rich people richer. Now I coach driven entrepreneurs to hack success, create more time and get better results through high performance habits, the multiply me method, and a little mental gymnastics. On Pivot Me, I talk to thought leaders and experts sharing our successes, our many scrubs, and how we can all use both to move us to the next level. Join us and learn real simple steps to pivot you and your business towards the life you've earned. At the top of his career, speaking, writing, running a charity, his wife said something to him that changed everything. He was called up. He wouldn't do what so many others have done and escape to work. At that time, his son was six and he calculated how many weekends he'd have left with him under his roof and then set about to making some massive changes. We'll share exactly what he did today. Our guest is John Roman, the founder of Front Row Dads, an organization focused on helping men to show up at home with just as much focus, just as much passion and intention as they do in their business. The mission of Front Row Dads is to help men deepen their connection with their children and build a family legacy that they're proud of. He is the author of the number one best-selling book, The Front Row Factor, and has been featured on today's show and Inc.com for his work in helping others live life in the front row. In 2005, John founded the FrontRowFoundation.org, a charity that helped individuals who are braving life-threatening illnesses to experience the event of their dreams from the front row. And today he's sitting down with us to talk about a massive pivot when he realized the best of him went to everybody outside of his home. We'll talk about mission. We'll get into managing your nervous system and deep breathing, parenting techniques we both use to have more patience in our own home. We even talk about doing psychedelics to improve connection perspective and overcome trauma. We leave no stone unturned. Let's get into this because this one is interesting. I want to welcome John to Pivot Me today. Thank you for joining us. Hey, it's good to be here. We've been waiting for this one. <laughs> we have been waiting for this. We've got to deliver now. We're waiting all the anticipation. So John, I appreciate you coming on and speaking with us and speaking with the Pivoters about the work that you do and why you do it. You know, we just finished reading your bio and I'd love to hear in your words how you got into the type of work that you do now. I understand there was a pretty big pivot a while ago. So can you explain to us how you got into this type of work? I think like most people, it's probably some element of pain, some element of pleasure, right? What are we moving towards and away from? For me, it was, I was at the height of my speaking career. I had just landed my biggest gig ever. And I was getting the ovation and the validation and the reward from the people that I wanted to serve. And I wanted to serve those people for my family also. There was good intention there. But I recognized that I was famous outside of my home, but not inside my home. And I was called up. I remember hearing that for the first time. Rather than called out, you get called up to your highest potential. And my wife had said to me after I had put out my book, The Front Row Factor, which was all about moment making, right? It was based on this charity that we started and all this stuff. And the book had a really big launch. And, you know, it was like a hundred reviews on the first day of this book. And then my wife said to me, she goes, sometimes I feel like you're more interested in being a moment maker for other people than you are for our family. And she was right. I would plan these elaborate gala events where we'd raise hundreds of thousands of dollars and I wouldn't take 
much time at all to plan a family vacation or our holidays or birthdays. I was kind of mailing it in, in those areas of my life. So my shift into front row dads, which is the work that I'm, I'm doing now and focused on is, was because I felt like I was failing as a dad, had a six-year-old always said I would read all the books on parenting and, you know, I would do everything that was needed to be a great parent, but it was like, I blinked and my son is six. And when I think about it in terms of getting him to 18, just as a milestone, uh, and I think you're a dad well beyond that, but that's a third of his life. I'm a third of the way there at six of the time that he would spend with me at home. You know, the most influential years, you might argue, and we could argue that and debate that. And I have arguments on both sides of that, but you know, that's what happened, right? It was more of a pain. And when I really started digging in on this and I started looking at my life and asking myself, who am I? There was a couple of things that, that changed. One was I recognized that I had been a businessman with a family and I wanted to be a family man with a business. And so that is when I got 30 men together in Philadelphia in 2016 to talk about fatherhood. And the only rule was don't talk about your business. And that's what we did. And it was so successful, that event, which was really the men just talking, right? It was them being vulnerable and talking about their wins and talking about their asks, what, you know, where were they struggling and what did they want help with? And then getting all that around help, fatherhood though, all around fatherhood, just fatherhood. And these are really successful guys. These are guys with very successful businesses. And many of them are multimillionaires and had achieved great things throughout their life, you know, all through their life, but they all recognized that it was difficult to do it all excellent. It was like they had built so much momentum, let's say through their twenties, all these habits of waking up early and giving your best hours to the business that actually when they had kids, those habits that built what they wanted were actually working against what they really wanted now, which was a family life. And they needed to reassess. They needed to redefine who they were, what their identity was. It's like a bio, how most bios read, these are all my accomplishments. And then by the way, I happen to have a family. And if we look at our calendars and we look where we invest, what events we're investing into. Well, we want to write a book. We buy a course on writing a book or how we want to speak. We go to a speaker training camp. I've done all these things. And they were all, by the way, very helpful. Where was the camp on like how to have an awesome marriage? We think in some ways that we're supposed to be just like, if you have love, you're going to have a great marriage. Like it's intuitive or something. Nope. If you just love your kids, you're going to be a great parent. And that is a piece of it, no doubt. And maybe arguably the most important piece. But there are so many other pieces of the puzzle. There's so many models and examples. And that's why I started to do this work. Not because I'm a dad expert. Not because I wanted to be like, guys, do this. I figured it out. Now you do what I tell you. Here's the seven steps to being a great dad. But I was like, oh, the one thing I know how to do I did it my whole life. I did it naturally. It came easy to me was build community. I could always get people together. I could always throw a party. I could always host an event. And I had done that for 25 years. And so I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And it just so happened that there was a lot of people hungry for what we have. And so now here we are. I love the story, John. I love all of this. There's so many things I want to ask about, but and honestly, I love the fact that it was someone, your wife, I mean, she gave you a huge gift that day. Totally. And she pointed that out. It didn't like, feel great in the moment. I was going to say, it doesn't feel like it. You're like, oh, that It didn't really feel hurts. great in the moment. Yeah. And I think, you know, what we were talking about just before we hit the record button is that a lot of times when you're a business owner or even, even a corporate exec, you know, a lot of times if we're going to excel in our career, we think it's an either or. Like you're either going to excel in your career or be super present in your family life. And one of the things that we want to talk about that we agreed to talk about offline was that we need to talk about how to live in the and, because there is a lot of people that believe it's one or the other. And I love when you're like, Hey, I, you know, I'm going and doing these seminars or I'm reading this book and it goes back to the whole, show me your calendar and show me your bank account. And I'll tell you what's important to you. Like we'll say, what's the most important to you? Well, of course my family. Okay. Well, where does that show up in your life? Show me the proof that they're the most important things in your life. And usually we can't provide that proof. It's like, well, well, I know. And I think they know like, isn't that enough? And, and I second your point, love ain't enough. And the way we love our kids and the way we raise our kids. Um, and, and I would argue the way that we show up in our marriage too, if unchecked is really just conditioning. We're going to do it the same way it was done to us. And that may or may not serve us. And that's why we do have to educate ourselves and be intentional about it. So you had this light bulb and you're like, I'm going to get these people together because I'm a great community maker. This had to have been a pretty big shift from the work that you were doing 
Did you know this is going to become my calling? This is going to be really important to me. I think it started, the clarity around that was emerging, right? As I kept leaning into where I was called, I'm feeling called to do this. You know, for a while, I was really called to do the speaking and to be on stages. And I think there's a natural progression too. At least for me, it felt like a natural progression of my life where I really wanted to be heard. I wanted to be witnessed. I wanted to be important. I wanted to know that my life mattered. It felt good working on a speech and then moving a crowd to tears or to an ovation or to action, right? To get those follow-up letters or requests for an autograph. All that was feeding this like, am I enough person, which was in some ways was a driver and it created some good in the world. Now, as that became less important, I was like, oh, I'm part of the system. And how do I give other people a voice? And how do I let put somebody else on stage? And how do I facilitate a conversation? How do I hold space for people? How do I allow that guy to share his brilliance with that man over there and build the relationship between those two? Because I can't be friends with everybody. I can't answer every call and right. And, and nor should I, because I don't have all the answers. I want to source the wisdom from the room. It also parlays perfectly into how do you create more space in your life? And if you are the linchpin, if you are the underpinning of the whole thing, then that doesn't create a lot of opportunity for you to be there for your family because the work needs you. Many people build their business because they want to be important to it, but they've baked themselves into the equation in such a way they can't step out. And from the get-go with Front Row Dads, I said, I don't want to be the person that this is built upon. I'd like to be a contributor. I want to be part of the team. Give me the ball. I'd like to dribble. I'd like to shoot. I would like to be part of this process, but I want it to live well beyond me. Nothing would make me happier than if 30 years from now, Front Row Dads is tens of thousands of people in a hundred different countries. And somebody goes, who started Front Row Dads? And somebody else goes, I don't know. And then they just go, but who cares, right? Like, doesn't matter. It and, works. And then yeah. the answer is, yeah, who cares? It's a system that works to serve men and their families. That is enjoyable. If people happen to know who I am, wonderful. I, I, does, does that feel good as a person? Sure, it does. It feels good to matter and be important. But I, man, I really wanted this to be something that could grow well beyond me. And that's exactly what's happening right now what happened. So I'm thinking back to where you're saying, Hey, I'm out there, I'm speaking, I'm doing the stuff that we're, we kind of get the accolades, right. And it feels good. So we continue to do it and we're doing it because we're impacting others, but we're also getting a payoff in this. So when I think about being really present with our families, it is easier to succeed at work than it is to succeed with our families. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Anyway. Yes, of course. We hear that all the time. It is. It feels like you can control so much at work. Yes. You got yeah. so and you're much good. control. You, you walk in, you perform, there's metrics and you're like, nailed it. Yeah. If you have a middle schooler, very rarely <laughs> at the end of the day, do you go, nailed, nailed it. it. Yeah. Like you're like, what did I do wrong? <laughs> right. We were just talking about having middle schoolers right before we started. So I think, I mean, what do you think that is? Do you think it's that work is more predictable and we know how to get results out of it? Is it because it feeds our ego more? Is it- Oh, there's so much home here. Home is hard. And so we don't know how to do it. There's an old, I think there's a Ram Dass quote that says, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. <laughs> I've not heard that before. That's good. And, and here's the thing. In work, there are these agreements, right? And you go to work and you have this structure and this system and there's, you hire people and they can leave if they want. There's very rarely like this pressure of this marital contract or the pressure of, if I mess this up with this little human, I might mess them up for their whole life. At work, if you have an employee and they end up going on to do something else, then, hey, they'll, they'll land in a soft place or they'll have their journey. They'll do what they do. I gave them the best I could. The pressure at home is very intense. And so I think that's a big part of it. It's the pressure that we feel of how important this decision is. And if I mess this up, there's also the, if you look at the schedule itself, for many families, a parent will wake up and go to work and they will give the majority of their energy to their business from nine to five and then perhaps sit in traffic or not, or just walk downstairs, but whatever it might be, they then get to their family and their family gets 
the scraps. They get the leftovers. And we know through research that willpower in many ways is a tank. And when it gets depleted over time, and there's some amazing studies on this that I'm sure you're familiar with, right? Judges that, you know, at the beginning of the day, they're letting people go. But by the end of the day, they're sentencing everybody to prison, right? It's like, yep. just don't have the time for this. And I think for a parent, it's, it's very similar where we're taxed, we're exhausted. And we're also dealing with when we're dealing with children is in some ways people that are just learning, they are very greedy. They're testing their abilities to manipulate. And all of that is a natural path for a child to test this out and test that out. But at home, we let our guard down, right? And we laugh about it all the time in front row dads where you'll be in the car and you're having this really serious conversation with your spouse or yelling at your kids in the back or whatever. And then you'll pull up to a Starbucks. You'll be like, hi, can I have a coffee, please? And then as soon as you roll the window, you're like, sit back down in your seat. It's like two totally different people. Because we just drop our guard with our family because in some ways they're not going anywhere. We're putting on an act. We bring our representative to the world and then the family gets the real us. And that's okay. That's what a family is supposed to be this place for our realness to show up. And then we work through that, but it's hard. Yeah. So how does one do that? I love this. And I think everybody has an alter ego when they go into Starbucks yes. too. It's probably in Starbucks is the best, the best you you're going to get is when you're about to get your coffee. But I'm thinking about the process of doing this. So I'm just drawing off my own experience as a parent. And I know one of the things that I do is I use like an affirmation before I see my kids. And so, and I'll use it sometimes several times a day, present patient mom. And I'll say it right before I engage with my kids. And especially if I'm transitioning from work or a work call or stressful situation over to them, because I want to make sure that I'm giving them my best self and not the frenzied April who just got off of a call. So for me, affirmations really, really help. What are some techniques that you use so that your family doesn't get the leftover version of you? Yeah, such a great question. And we talk about this a lot in Front Row Dads as a community. This is a nervous system. So what is your nervous system as you bring it into your family, where are you in your body? If you're in fight or flight and they, you know, you see shoes on the ground, you'd be like, the shoes, right? Because you're in <laughs> fight or flight. How many times do I have to tell yeah. you? If I don't yeah. get this worked out, then if my house isn't clean, I can't keep a straight head. I'm not going to succeed at work. If you can't keep yourself together as a kid, you're going to grow up and you're not going to make it. And you're not going to be able to feed yourself and everything's going to be a failure. And we get into fight or flight and everything feels big. Everything feels serious. So we need to learn how to regulate our nervous systems. Not only that, but we need to co-regulate with our spouses. They need to know what we need to be regulated, right? And so my wife and I are working on this even now. Like we struggle with this, but we're working on it. Babe, when I'm dysregulated. So here's an example. Let me give you a real example. Okay. It's, it's, it's tough to talk in theories all the time, right? But it's like, yeah, so we'll okay, love real examples. on the Enneagram, I'm a seven. So I'm an enthusiast, right? If you know that personality profile test, anybody listening, I'm an enthusiast and I'm go excited, adventure, people, extrovert, right? That's me. But when I get stressed, I go into a one, which is a perfectionist and an unhealthy one at that, which means that I'm good, I'm go, it's, it's party, it's friends, it's all this stuff until my house gets to a certain place where it's chaos, the trash everywhere. And then I'm like, we need to clean this up now, right? And I go into like militant, everything is going to be solved in the next three hours. I get shit done. That's who I am. But that is an unhealthy one is who I go to. So I say to my wife, baby, you know me. I'm a seven. I'm joy. I'll look at that. I'll be like, it's good. No big deal. Kids first. I'd rather be happy than have a clean home. I sell myself. I got silver linings. I'm talking myself into it. I got affirmations. I'm a present, powerful papa, right? It's like, whatever it is, like I got it all until I'm not. And when I hit the breaking point, now, you know, baby, I have gone to an unhealthy one. And that is when officer Roman shows up. We are going to clean everything in this house. Nobody's getting screen time for the rest of their lives unless this is done by 8 p.m. Like this is, I go into militant Officer Roman. He's got a name, Officer Roman. He shows up occasionally. And I say to my wife, when I go into that, you have a couple of choices. Number one, you can criticize me and you can like condemn me for it, but I will rise up probably even more powerful because Officer Roman does not want to be told what to do. So if you come at me, I'm unconscious at that point. I'm reptilian brain. I am fire. Like I am not in my prefrontal cortex. I am not thinking clearly. 
you could take the kids out, go do something if you want to. Or you can also come up to me and you can just touch my arm and be like, baby, I feel you. We're going to help you because I get regulated by touch. One of my top needs is touch. So here's the thing. That's a great example of how we co-regulate each other, how we can communicate with our loved ones around our needs. But we also need to know when a child is dysregulated, what do they need? So that's not the time for, you've heard this like connection before correction. And connection means we need to co-regulate. I need to help them calm down before I give them instruction or teach them or model something new. I need to help them breathe. And whoever is the most dominant breath is the leader. That is the person who is least triggered, is responsible for the nervous system of the other person also. That's why getting together and hugging and just breathing Like sometimes I'll just hold, I say, can I just hug you? And then I'll hug my son and I'll just breathe. And I breathe loud enough and long enough to where I do it, to where he'll start matching my breath. That is co-regulating our nervous systems. Now, there's lots of ways that we do that for ourselves too. So we can take responsibility, all the things. You've talked about it, I'm sure, a thousand times on your show, right? We know the things. It's meditation. It's going for a walk. It's being in nature. Now, listen, we can talk about all those things and everybody will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Meditate, go for a walk in nature, give myself a little space, right? All that stuff. But are you actually doing it? Are you giving yourself that gift? Because even just a few minutes ago, this is real talk, April, right? But just before our show, I was just texting with my wife and we were not in agreement on something. And I felt myself getting triggered. I was like, I'm dysregulated right now. I'm going to be talking to April in a little bit. So I sat over in the corner of my room and I pulled out insight timer. I put on this sound meditation that I love. And I said, I'm just going to sit here and breathe for 10 minutes. Cause I was going to do email. I'm like, I'm going to do email. And I'm like, if I do email, I will show up to that and call. That's going to well, right? go so well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to show up to that call. That'll regulate me. Right. I, and and yeah. because here's what I did in the past. I just distracted myself. That's what I tried to do is distract myself. Now I understand the difference. See, email would have been a distraction and breathing was regulating my nervous system. Very different. And I think here's the other thing to consider is as you're listening to this, like this is great insight. Your brain is not going to want to do this. Your brain, when you're suffering, it wants to keep you in suffering. When I'm angry, yesterday yesterday I got upset about something. My brain didn't go, "Mm, you're kind of upset, April. I think you need to chill out. I was like, what else can I be mad at? So everything you said about the enthusiast and then going into the perfectionist and cleaning the house... I was laughing because I'm like, wait till my husband hears this because we don't have a name for her, but I do the exact same thing because I'm so like happy-go-lucky and I want a great experience for the kids and let's have adventures and let's make science projects in the kitchen. And then till I get to a certain point where I tip over and then I'm like, why is it so messy? Have you done the Enneagram? Yes, I have. I'm actually an achiever. Okay. Is that a three? You're a three? I think that was a three. Three. You're a three. I'm a seven three. So yeah. It's achiever and then helper, I think it is. Two. You're a three, two. Yeah. Yeah. Three, two. I don't know where I go when it's unhealthy though. That part, I think I missed. So I need to know. But when you just described, I was like, well, that sounds really, that sounds like a Tuesday in my house. So yes. So I'm not always like, usually I'm like, oh, it's about having the experience and we're going to do this. And like, and even like my car, I have have an SUV and I call it the adventure mobile. And there's always snowboards and kayaks or paddle boards. There's fishing necks in the back. We have two daughters. We're always on adventures. Like that's really, really important. I'm very cognizant of the time that I have with them and creating these amazing experiences. And it's fine. And then the, finally, I'm like, why is there so many snacks? And how many fishy crackies, crackers does she need to eat? So when you just describe that, I felt that so clearly. But if you're listening to this right now, I want to be clear. Your brain doesn't go, mm, I should choose for, I should reach for something better. Your brain's like, no, I'm pissed and I'm staying right here. So you have to recognize what's going on and you've got to do something counter to that. So when I was upset yesterday, I thought, I'm going to listen to music that makes me more upset. And I was like, turn on Spotify. I turned on my workout mix. I turned on my weight. Like I went to something that was going to keep me frustrated. And then I caught myself and I was like, that's not what you do. Like, that's not what you do anymore. So I went for a walk and it helped. And so, you know, I'm glad that we're having real talk here because if there's something that's going to push us to the end of our wick, a lot of times it's our family. They don't always get the best of us. And so, and if you've got kids... They don't always bring out the best in us. And yet it is our responsibility to still give them the best of us. 
And so we've got to find out ways that we regulate, the ways that we cope, because it's not up to them to help us manage our emotions. It's up to us. And if left unchecked, we're going to just do exactly what was done to us. For some of us, that's going to be great. For some of us, that's going to be terrible. We can choose better. And if you're listening to the show, it's because you're someone who chooses better. So I'm so glad that you're walking us through this, John. Yeah. And you know, and here's what I want to say. I think it's most important in a moment like this is like, there's no perfection here. You're not going to meditate your way into never being angry again. Like you're going to get angry most likely. Now, do, do I know that for sure? I don't know because I'm guessing, right? But everybody I've ever met and myself included, like I said this to my son the other day, I go, Hey, I'm really sorry for getting angry. Here's why I got angry. Here's what I said to myself. Here's what happened. Here are the things that led up to this. I can take responsibility. I also want your help in the role that you play in my life because we affect each other. There is chemistry here. These are ingredients that bake something and we all impact one another. So here's what I want to tell you also. I'm talking to Ocean, who's seven, as we're laying in bed. I'm going to get angry again. Now, I don't want to. I'm going to work to not be angry. That is not the state I want to be in. But I'm confident enough in my humanity to know it'll show up again. Now, probably as I get older, it'll, it'll come up less. It might be less intense. But I always want you to know that whenever I'm angry, that is me. That is me losing being in fear. It's losing control and being in fear. I'm afraid of something. So here's what I want you to ask. Like when Papa's angry, it's like, what is he afraid of? And like, here's an example. Sometimes I'm afraid that you won't go to sleep on time and then you won't make it to school tomorrow or you'll go to school tomorrow tired and you won't have a great day. So I'm just afraid. And a fear turns into anger. Because anger is a secondary emotion. Yeah. So I'm not angry at you. I'm, I'm actually fearful of something. And then it comes up as anger and it might feel like I'm angry at you, but really I'm just scared. So you could ask yourself, what is Papa scared of? But John, what you're talking about, so I love it, but it takes an incredible amount of self-awareness. Totally. How do people get that level of awareness. So I totally understand what you're saying. And when I said anger is a secondary emotion, it's easier for us to reach for anger than it is to talk about what we're afraid of, that we're insecure, that we're scared this is going to happen, that the dirty house is going to make me disorganized and I'm not going to be able to perform well in my business and I'm going to lose my, whatever it is. So how does someone get to the point where they're having such a self-aware conversation? I think there's two ways. The first is you have to learn to listen to yourself. Most people are numbing themselves and they're not actually hearing the guidance of their bodies. Your body will tell you, you'll start to feel tense in your shoulders. Your hands will start to be like, I want to, your body will be like, something's wrong. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm anxious. I'm joyful. I'm whatever, right? It's like your body will feed you before. And most of what happens in our body is that our information goes from our body to our brain, not from our brain to our body. And I think they've done a great job. When you study the nervous system, you start to see that. So if you can tune into your body and be like, what's my body telling me? That's a practice. That's an everyday. By the way, right now, people ask me questions and this is a practice that, and this will be the second part. My buddies and I do, that's the second part community. But you, you know, how are you? And I put my hand on my heart and I breathe and I then really answer the question. The standard is like, great. Yeah, right? exactly. But it's like, I really answer the question. Let me check in with my body. Now, the second part there is you can, first of all, listen to yourself, but also have others listen to you. That's community. Have others know you. You know others. So we learn so much by seeing other people. You're like, have you ever seen somebody do something and you're like, that's me. Is that what I look like when I do that? Is that right? Like, this happened last night at dinner, by the way. My wife stubbed her toe. And then she's like, ah, what the fuck? She's like throwing her hands in the air and she's hitting the wall. And she's, it's like a really dramatic. And my son goes to me, is that what I look like when I'm dramatic? And I'm like, yes. And he goes, oh my God. Because community allows us to see other people, like I see a parent yelling at their kid in the store and I'm like, oh, geez, I've done that. Is that what I look like? Oh God, that's- It's a mirror. It's a mirror. And I think that's exactly how we become conscious if we choose to. So looking within and looking around and then allowing other people to see us, that level of transparency and vulnerability, not living there. And by the way, I don't say that everything you ever feel you need to say and everything you ever feel you need to tell everybody else but a level of vulnerability serves us 
And that's how we become conscious. We make a decision. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to see, and then I'm going to tell people I'm trying to be more conscious. I I love when you said allowing other people to see us, because I think that we are not in the habit of doing that. Definitely not in the business world. Not only are we not in the habit, but we're kind of conditioned not to do that. I think Brene Brown is doing great work in bringing in vulnerability to leadership. But admittedly, I was like, I like the lady, but I'm not totally on board. I'm like, vulnerability works well for others. But like when I first heard her message years ago, I was like, I don't know if I can get behind it for me. And that was an oversight. It was just because of the corporate world that I came from. And we'll just say the kind of corporate conditioning that I'd been in. And I was like, oh, this is just how you do things. And I'm like, there's no crying in baseball. So it's a pretty big shift from how people are doing it. And to your point, like definitely a big shift in how many men are doing it. Like, were you always this way, John? Or did you kind of lean into, (laughs) no, all right, story time, John, let's, let's have it. Listen, I mean, look, we could tell lots of stories, but look, I've made so many mistakes. I have dealt with so much shame in my life. I have felt so unconscious. At times in my life, I've been suicidal. I just thought the world would be better without me causing so many problems. I have issues with being a burden. Like I have childhood issues that I'm a burden that still show up to this day. I was at a party recently and like somebody had hired a massage therapist that was giving massages to everybody at the party. And I was like, I literally got on the table and I'm like, I can't even enjoy this because I'm, I think I'm taking up somebody else's time on the table. And this shows up in my life, even to this day as a 47 year old. But let me tell you something that I think is really relevant to what we're talking about, April. This might be the most important discovery of the last six months for me. So first, some context. For many months now, I have been doing the deep introspective work into my life. Like I built a business through my 20s and my 30s. I was go, go, go. I ran ultra marathons. I built a charity that raised millions of dollars. I traveled the world. I was on it. I was on fire. I was busy, right? And a lot of that was to distract myself. A lot of that was in an effort to not feel pain. And it served me and others. Recently, in the last six months, I had found myself where I fixed a lot of things, quote unquote, right? Like I only work about maybe 15 hours a week right now. My business is about to do a million bucks this year. I have one employee. It's extremely profitable. I have time. I have money. I have a family. I have a beautiful home. I have everything I could want, right? In my, like this, so I'm like, I'm going to now with this gift, it's a privilege and I feel that. I am going to peel back I'm going to open up and I'm going to do everything I can do to understand what's within me that I've ignored, the shadows, the trauma, the right, all of that. And so I went down this road of like psychotherapy. I went into plant medicine. I did somatic somatic work. I literally, I had somatic therapists. I had, I've invested thousands of dollars, countless hours. I mean, psilocybin journeys, LSD, MDMA, ketamine therapy. We we talk about plant medicines. I went deep into that world. I went into the world of not doing plant medicines, into deep into meditation. I went into tantric training. I literally just poured into this open space. I just came back from Burning Man for a week. I was like, I'm doing everything I can to just open. Hey, Pivoter, I see you taking notes. I see you applying things into your business and life. Great work. But what if you could do it on a Zoom call with me? Well, here is your invite. I am hosting a free live event on Zoom where I get to know you, your challenges, and help you work through them as we accelerate your growth together. This is a free virtual event, and I'd love for you to join. Hop over to pivot-me.com backslash event and save your spot now. We'll keep these small. They will fill up. I'd love for you to be there. Again, it's pivot-me.com backslash event. We'll also put the link in the show notes and I'll see you there. And you know what, John, I actually want to go back to, you never know where these um, interviews are going to go, but I am just so excited that it went to where it did, John, because as you're talking and I'm aggressively head nodding, it's because I just went down a very similar path. 
And so when you're sharing, so we found this, each other. So yeah, <laughs> as, and I was like, okay, this conversation needed to happen. So because there's a couple of things that you said that I was like, wow, that sounds like what my somatic therapist talks about, which I started in March. And then a couple other things you said, I'm like, that sounds like childhood PTSD stuff. So, anyways, I think we were meant to have this conversation. And I'm really curious, this is being very vulnerable on my side, but I'm curious about what your path looked like because I just started down that path a month ago. There was April from zero to 18. And then the second I turned 18, I created a new April. And that served me up until this version of April. And people who know the motivational speaker, the business advisor, who you're seeing now, would never guess who she used to be. Would never guess where I came from. Like, never guess. And every once in a while, there'll be like a throwback Thursday. I'm like, this is April with all her body piercing and her black bangs, you know, and her knee-high combat boots. And everybody's like, I can't believe that was you. Yeah, I was voted least likely to succeed. I was a troubled kid. And I kind of killed her off. And then she sort of came back about a month ago. Because you didn't kill her off. I didn't. So I thought I did. That's right. But you Um, didn't because she's still a part of you. I know. That's what my therapist just told me. (laughs) So she's like, well, that's the problem. You thought she was gone, but she wasn't. And by denying all the things that you went through and all the trauma that you went through to become this version of you, she's like, it was just a matter of time before this all came back up again and said, no, 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 you never dealt with this. You just shut the door. And that only works for so long. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm at my, I'm at my therapist's office and I'm ready to do the work. And we're sitting there and she's like, tell me about this, tell me about that. And I'm in my brain going, look, I've been through countless seminars. I'm like, Tony Robbins same, trained same. on this train. On this train. Jesse, I've, UPW, I've, I've, done it all. I've, I've talked about all this stuff. Like I brought this up. I've done so much, so much work. I have so many friends. I talked to you about everything. And she's like, well, let's just get on the table. And she starts like, you know, she's holding my head. She's got me breathing. I'm doing breath work. And all of a sudden she's like, and take me back to this. And, and when did that happen? And what was your earliest memory with this? And I'm five years old. It's a time when I jump out and I surprise my dad when he gets home from work. And I go back to this memory. And next thing you know, I'm talking about how I thought I was going to surprise my dad. And he's going to love it. And I was like, yeah, you know, dad, surprise. And he's like, he turned around. He was so angry at me because his nervous system as a Navy captain, was he was on high alert defending our country and he walks in the door trying to find probably find like peace and a beer and whatever and here's his five-year-old kid going ah, scaring the shit out of him and by the way i'm bawling on the table i'm bawling and all of a sudden i'm like oh, i guess i guess there's something there i guess i haven't done all the work on myself right i guess there is still pain there and i'll tell you listen to this april this was crazy and this actually hit me at burning man My dad said to me recently, and this is connected loosely. He said, John, is there anything, and he's 76 and he just got diagnosed with cancer. And he says, is there anything that we want to talk about that needs to be said that maybe one day we would say, God, I wish I would have said that. And I was like, how beautiful that he asked that question. Right. I mean, such a great guy. And I said, dad, I really think I've said so much to you. Like, again, I've done the work, right? I've been to the events. I've written the letters to my dad. I've done, and I'm sort of proud of that. But something hit me a week ago. And it was this, I was in tears. I was a sobbing mess over this. My dad has told me countless times that I am a great man. He is literally, he calls me constantly. He's like, you are such a great dad. You're such a great person. What you've done with the charity work and the business and your kids and your family and how patient you are and all the, like you are just such a great dad, such a great man. That's all great. I love that. I'm so grateful that he has the words and the courage to say those things. And I receive them and I feel that. But you know where I was in tears was I don't ever remember my dad telling me that I was a good kid. I'm actually going to start crying right now. But that I don't ever remember hearing. And at 47 years old, I'm like, holy shit, this is the thing that's been driving me so hard as an adult is like, I just want to be a good person. And I never went back and really dealt with the fact that I never felt like a good enough kid, right? And I'm not saying it's his fault. He might've said it a hundred times. I might not have ever even heard it. I'm not in a blame or victim state right now, but I've recognized that this story and how it's been showing up in my life and how it's been driving my behavior is the reason that I wanted to open up 
and I wanted to just receive all these messages. And now it's time for me to go do something with the information. It's like a person that perpetually wants to go to a personal growth event. They're kind of addicted to the, to the new idea and the growth, but you have to integrate that. You have to practice that. You have to put it into a habit. You need to go talk to your dad. You need to go to remedy, to repair, to revitalize your life. You can't just live in this state of constantly just listening. You have to then go speak and do the thing. And that's where I'm at right now. I'm so glad that you got clarity on that. And what an amazing relationship to have that kind of a conversation with your dad. I'm really glad that both he would ask that, would open the door, would have the strength to open the door because he didn't know what was about to come through that. It could have been a criticism. It could have been a painful memory. Kudos to your dad for having the courage to have that conversation. That's amazing. John, when you were going through the sort of the discovery stage. I mean, did you feel destabilized? Did you feel like you were going crazy when you're going through it? I mean, walk us through that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. There's lots of metaphors that you could use. You can use that you're sweeping it under the carpet or you're throwing it into the closet, but it's literally like how people sometimes clean or like our garage sometimes. Like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't have time to deal with this. I got to get the kids off to school, throw it in the garage. So it just literally lands in the garage. And one day, You walk out there and go, this is ridiculous. We have to handle this. And handling all of that, all of what you threw in the garage in one day can be taxing. And that is what it was like to open up and to look at these things. And not only when you do that, but if look, if you're 40, let's use me as the example, I'm 47 and I look back and I go, all right, let's be honest. How have I really shown up in my marriage? Well, I've been married for 16 years. What happens, April, if you decide that you're like, oh, if I'm really being honest, I have been not honest in this way. I haven't been transparent about my emotions or my feelings or whatever. Do you know what comes with that? When you recognize that you've been bullshitting your partner for 16 years. I would think guilt and shame. Shame. You're exactly right. Like You're like, oh my God, I've literally been manipulating. I've been unconscious about it. I've been unwilling to look at it. And now there's shame with that, right? How could I, how could I be so ignorant? And that's always been one of my biggest fears is getting to the end of like my fatherhood journey and looking back and going, that was it. That's what I needed to do. And I didn't do it. Yeah. I was so busy doing all these other things. I didn't catch that. That was the thing. Oh, I would feel like a knife in the heart because, and so now I'm dealing with that. I'm dealing with, if I'm being honest, let me give you another example, ready? Let me give you a practical example. My wife is terrible about being on time. She is in another planet. And by the way, it's a beautiful planet. She is so in the moment. And, you know, she just, that's not, time is not her forte. She is in the moment. She's fully present. So what I was doing the other day was, I'll say the other day, it was like two months ago. I remember having this realization. I wrote about it in my journal. I sent her a text message and the message was, what time will you be home? Now, do you think I know after 16 years, if I just got done telling you that my wife is not good with time, that asking the question, what time will you be home is literally setting her up for failure. Totally. Yeah. So I recognize that I'm doing this. I'm like, holy shit, I'm literally taking a jab at her right now. I'm doing it. I could defend myself. Somebody would go, well, that's mean. And I go, asking my wife what time she's going to be home is mean? Me? I would never. But when I'm really being honest, I was taking a jab at her. It was another way that I could be right and she could be wrong. I would live out the narrative of I'm good on time and she's not. But listen, in the world of spirits, let's say like we're these seven and a half billion people or whatever we are on the planet right now. We've somehow as a society maybe constructed that like, hey, time is important. We make it important. We got the right way to do things. The right thing is to be on time, all that, right? As agreement, as a society, the majority of people. But is a spirit walking this earth? Like, is it my job to be like, you're a bad spirit. You're a bad human because you don't subscribe to this time thing. But I'm making her feel that way. I'm literally going out of my way to make her feel like a bad teammate that she's not participating in this way. I think intention matters there. If that's what your intention was, if your 100%. intention was, okay. So you like checked so in with deep yourself and in said- in my core, my intention was to poke at her. Gotcha, okay, yeah. But I sold myself that my intention was good. 
I just want to live a great life. And by the way, that might be partially true, but underneath of it was a dig. So here's what I did. Instead of sending the message, what time will you be home? Which you could, I could argue for the benefit of that too. So listen, I can argue both sides, but instead I just sent this message and I said, how are you feeling, baby? Now, if I want to be in a happy marriage, right? And it is about collaboration and two souls. Now, my needs are important. It's not that time doesn't matter and I should just throw myself on the grenade and sacrifice myself for all of her needs. No, my needs should matter, but I should also be on her team and playing to her strength. So it's here, ready? This is leadership back to the family. If you had a teammate that you loved, that was amazing with numbers and you had them in communication, but they're really a numbers person, you wouldn't keep just trying to like get them to do the wrong job. It's put the right person in the right seat on the bus, right? That's what we always learn. Well, in marriage is the same way where we keep wanting to control our partner and control our kids and make them do things the way that we want them to do them versus what are their strengths? What are their talents? Can we put them in the position they were born to be in? And then at work, we're so good at that just because we're afraid that if they leave, it's going to be hard. And like, so we're good at recognizing them for what they do. And you're great at this. We've got systems built in for, I got awards and recognition and trophies and all sorts of stuff for our, t- but in our families, we don't do that. We don't catch them doing the right thing. We don't have a system for honoring their strengths. So real quick, real quick, ready? Here's a practical way, April, for everybody to do something with this, right? I'm going to give a practical strategy. Every week or so, I will print a picture that I took that week and I'll hand write a note on the back where I recognize a strength in my two boys and my wife and I will hand those pictures out at dinner. So I'll say, oh, Ocean, this was when you were in your first karate class and you were so patient and you were listening. So I created a system like I would do at work to recognize people at our weekly L10 meeting. What are highlights? What are headlines? I will recognize my family for things they're doing right. I love it. I love how practical it is. And what's interesting, I don't know if you'd phrase it that way, but what I'm hearing a couple of times was that you're taking some of, this isn't the best language, but like the things that make you amazing at business. That's exactly what it is. You're applying them to home. 100%. And you know, at first blush, that may hear like, okay, bring your business into family, but you're talking about running your family like a business. Yes. Just the good aspects of it. That's what I want people to do. Bring the best of your business home. Because we, all we hear is leave business at, at work, right? Like when you shut your computer, leave business there. No, no, no. Grab the best of your business and bring that home. You know, it's funny because I was just having a conversation this morning with my husband and we were talking about one of our daughter's homework. And I said, to remember for everyone criticism, we have to give her five positive that's right. Comments, right? Bring out five strengths or five positive commentaries. And I'm like, it's a one to five ratio. Like our brains, our brains can be dicks sometimes. So like you have to like, okay, your brain's going to listen to all the totally, bad stuff. Totally. You're going to have to balance it out. And so I pointed that out. I was like, if we're going to talk about this thing she didn't do well, we're going to have to be, you don't have to have to come in with five things prepared, but you got to be cognizant of like, you got to balance the scales a little bit. If you think about it, that's something that I learned in business forever. I mean, it's like the sandwich. The Lasato line. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. And so I just think that it's a really good rule of, okay, what's the best parts of your business that you could bring home? I, I think in some regards, a lot of people just think of their family as like sort of the, they'll always be there. It's kind of like your baseline, but without pumping more energy into it, eventually they're not your baseline anymore. Right? Like they're either growing or dying, just like your business. It's either growing oh. or dying. It's applicable to our families as well. And it's so hard. Look, in our community, we have a lot of very wealthy people. Uh, Not everybody's wealthy, but there are a lot. We tend to attract some really successful people. I can think of countless people in our group that are, that literally retired in their late twenties, early thirties, big exits from companies, millions of dollars, do anything they want, right? Here's the thing. They all still have full-time work with their families. They are all working on their marriages. They are all figuring out education and school and kids and nutrition and health issues and all this stuff. Like they still are very, very, very challenged. It is hard, which is why many men, including myself, escape to work. In the beginning, I would escape I would say to Tatiana, hey, I'm the breadwinner. I got to get out to my best hours are in the morning. So you got to get the kids. I would 
purposefully be out the door before they woke up. And I was at a coffee shop working, just sitting there with a cup of coffee, sending out emails, making dreams come true, right? Like, and it was all in the name of serving my family. But the truth is being at home was so hard that I was hiding at the coffee shop. So I want to go to the coffee shop and work. I just don't want to hide there always. For and sure. that's different than retreating, right? Or rejuvenating. We all need that. That's different. And you got to check in yourself to know whether you're escaping at work. I think, that, again, that's that's a level of self-awareness. And so when you're listening to that, because a lot of Pivot Me listeners are high performers, right? And so we do amazing work at work and we build these amazing businesses. But I do think that, pausing and saying, are we escaping at work? Because at work, I feel good. At work, I can see the fruits of my labor pretty darn quick. My employees might say, gosh, you're a great boss. And your kid doesn't always look at you and say, yeah, you're a great parent. So that takes a level of awareness and you got to check in with yourself and go, am I escaping to work? Yeah, that's it. That's all this is, April. These are not prescriptions for how to live life. These are my experiences. These are what I witness in other people. But the thing that everybody I believe needs to do is really the self-awareness piece of what works for me. And by the way, what works now might not work a week from now. And you might not feel the same way today that you did yesterday or tomorrow, any of those things, but it's literally how to be appropriate in the moment, how to honor where your body is, where your mind is, what's needed right now in that moment. And we said this earlier, right? It's like, this is the number one pain point And the number one thing that people want in our group, and this is what men want. And I imagine women want too, is how to be fully present. Because when we are fully present, we actually do know what to do in that moment. When we are dialed into our own bodies, when we are empathetic and connected and compassionate and aware of the other person in front of us, and then we are aware of the vast resources that surround us and all of the infinite possibilities of what could be done, and then we trust our inner guidance system, and then we go, that intuitive march, that is when we are at our best. That's when we do our best work. That's when we do our best parenting, because then we can just course correct very quickly. If someone's listening and they're like, how do I know if I... So I love that you're saying, hey, people want to know how to be fully present. I think there's people that are like, how do I know if I'm fully present? Like, what would you say to someone who's like, am I, am I not? I'm not sure. All right. A couple things. One, it's a big subject to unpack and I know we don't have time for it. So I would point them to Jim Dethmer, D-E-T-H-M-E-R. He wrote a book called The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. Jim is amazing. He is an older gentleman, grandfather, years of wisdom, very successful company. And what he did is he took a lot of people's wisdom and he packaged it together is what he did. So this is decades of wisdom from amazing people that he packaged together. But Jim and I did a show on being present as a father. It is one of our most popular episodes. And he talks about how do you know? And a lot of it is knowing when you're not present. So interestingly, like meditation, you know, which they call the art of the thousand returns, right? Is so when you go out of meditation, when you're daydreaming and you're in meditation and you're like, I keep failing at this. And you go, no, actually, every time that you're aware that you drifted and bring yourself back, that's the drift and shift model. I drift out. I know that I drifted and I shift back into focus right? And then I'm back into presence. And the more that we practice it, which is why it's a practice, the better we get at it. So you might go unconscious for a long period of time in the beginning, but the quicker that you start to recognize and you have ways to check in, you actually have habits, like even putting my hand on my heart, closing my eyes, checking in. That's a habit that brings me back into presence. Breath brings you back into your present moment. So if you're sitting there tonight, so say someone's listening to this podcast right now and they're sitting there tonight with their family and they're having a conversation and they want to make sure they're present. Yeah. What are they doing tonight? Uh, I think first of all, you breathe, right? One is you just take notice of your breath. You might just breathe in and breathe out and you'll always come back to the moment if you can focus on your breath. You'll always be back in that moment when you focus on your breath. Right. And I think that another piece of it is just to award yourself when you are, you're like, oh, here I am thinking about being present point for me. Right. So first of all, catch yourself doing something right. Let that five to one be also for yourself that every time you catch yourself being present, then go, there you are being present. That's what it feels like. And now we have a model of what it feels like to be there. And then this is about grace. When you shift out, everybody shifts. So think of it like this. You don't find presence and then just stay there. You are a pendulum often swinging. And the swinging of the pendulum is this, the future, 
what's about to happen, we are predictive creatures, is driving a car. Are they going to pull out in front of me? We're always predicting what's about to happen, living into the future. What is our kids schedule tomorrow? What do I have to get done? So we know we're living in the future a lot. We're also looking back in the past, reliving moments. Should I have said that to that person? What did that feel like? We're always looking back over the day. What's our 80-20? What worked? What didn't? Like we're great at reflecting. But that's just the pendulum of how everything swings. And often the pendulum is just swinging through the present moment, right? It's just that pendulum is like, what's happening next? What just happened? And you're passing through the present moment. The more that you can just be aware that there's a pendulum and you are constantly drifting and shifting back, you know, the old leadership example of the plane, a plane doesn't fly from point A to point B, it like constantly is off course. And all that a plane is doing is constantly course correcting. That's what you're doing as a human. So practices that bring you back into the moment, breath. And there's also meditative practice, like something called noting, which is what do I see? What do I hear? What do I feel? That's a great way to do this too. If you want to be fully present, then as you're sitting there going, what do I see? What's around me? What do I hear? And then what do I feel? And by the way, that is external and internal. So you might see something out of your eyes, like I see a tree line right now, but I also have visions in my mind. I see a picture of tomorrow playing volleyball with my friends. That is an internal and external vision. Hearing is the same thing. I have voices in my head. I hear the buzzing of the AC unit outside. So I note the internal voice and the external voice. And then I feel, I feel in my body, maybe like butterflies in my stomach, or I feel the air conditioning on my skin. So if we have a see, hear, feel exercise, that is also another way to bring us back into presence. And if we start our day or end the day or have little breaks during the day, during lunch, or if you have to walk downstairs from your upstairs office like I do to my downstairs to see my family, I'm going to take a moment and just pause and center myself, right? Yeah. Breathe before I take anything here, any energy. I want to clear that energy before I enter my family space. It makes such a difference. So I have an upstairs office too. I used to work outside of the house. But then when you switch to a home office, it is both a blessing and a curse. Yeah. And the biggest thing is that you have to learn how to manage your state very, very quickly before that, because there's no commute time now. So like I open up the door and there's tiny humans on the outside of that door wanting my attention. So I'm like, I better manage it here before I open up and engage because they don't need business owner, April. They need like fun, playful mama. And so that's a switch that you've got to make. I love this. Before I ask our final question, John, where is the best place for people to connect with you? So we're going to put your links into show notes, but where would they go to get more of this? Yes. Well, here's what I want to say. So normally my answer is frontroadads.com. That's what I normally would say. Right now, what I want to say is I want people to get more of Front Row Dads by coming to our live event in December, because nothing in my mind beats being in person. Now, I will say this. This event is not for everybody. It is not like any other dad event that's ever been done. This is for high performers, business owners, entrepreneurs who want to be family men with businesses, not businessmen with families. It's not the cheapest conference. It's not any of that. And it's limited to 150 people. And we want the right guys there. But if somebody's listening to this, they probably know if they're the right guy. After that, at this point, they're probably like, this is for me. I'm going to go check this out. So I want to meet these guys in person. Nothing will beat the momentum that happens at the live event. But everything else, frontrowdads.com has the podcast and all those other places that somebody could go get information. So that would be frontroadads.com actually has, of course, the live event also. So they can go there to check it out. It's a great place. And I think our listeners will dovetail well with who you're looking for to go to that. So I, I think a lot of pivoters are going, yeah, he just described exactly me and, and how I want to be. So John, here's our final question. If you could tell the world one thing, what would that be? Oh, okay. I'm practicing what I preach, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> What just came to me without judging the answer that came up inside was to recognize and to honor your individual need for safety in this world and to be curious about how that is playing out in your life and what it might be causing you to do or not to do. Psychological safety amongst a friend of how much you'll open up and share psychological safety, emotional safety with your family, physical safety 
in how you interact with the world. But when you drill down and down and down and down and down and you keep going, well, why is that? And why do you do that? And a lot of it is either because you feel safe to do it or you don't feel safe. I think you served a lot of people in that sentence, in that statement. And, you know, I'm going to reflect on it myself. That was really powerful. Thank you so much for joining us today, for not only just joining us, but having what is a very open, honest, authentic conversation. Like we didn't just talk about, it's easy to come on a show like this and talk about our highlights. Like here's our highlight reel. Here's the things we've done well. And, and as we included in your bio, like you've done a lot of amazing things, but John, you showed up here so authentically and had such great conversations that served us. So thank you for doing that. Mm, thanks, April. This was really fun. And like we talked about before, it was really just an enjoyable chat with my friend, April, new friend, April. And I also am happy that if this lands with somebody to where the questions, the ideas will impact them, their families, their businesses, well, that to me feels really on purpose. Yeah. Thank you. When experiencing anger, I ask, what am I afraid of in this moment? But I've got to tell you, so many things that John and I just spoke about were like spine tingly relevant to me. Right now, things he brought up today are things I'm working through right now. I was angry about something just yesterday. And, you know, after done being angry and, you know, I turned off Eminem and Fallout Boy. And I asked myself that exact question. I said, what am I afraid of in this moment? And I got my answer. And just hours later, John poses the same question I had asked myself, this spooky, we had a lot of those moments today. Let's recap a few of John's insights. When his wife told him at the beginning that he's creating these amazing moments for others and not for his family, he said he was called up. Many would have become defensive in that moment. He chose choice to see it as an opportunity to become better for his family. And what a difference that made. Next, he regulates his nervous system. He manages his state. He does it with his wife. He does it with his kids. He touches them when he does it, like physical touch, like it's a tactile sensation with his kids. He, he says, connection before correction. I love that. I had not heard that before, though I do that. I didn't have such a nice phrase for it. And I know personally with my daughters, I have learned so very clearly that if I see something they did wrong, I can't just go into correction mode. I have to fight that urge and instead say, help me understand what happened here. Now, I saw it with my own damn eyes with my kids, like one daughter hits another one on the top of the head. But if I jump right into correction, that daughter's going to get defensive. She's going to feel unheard and won't receive my words, even if she suffers my punishment. Just this small tweak in my own parenting, asking first, help me understand what happened here. They get to tell their side of the story first, and it's made all the difference. Because I listen to them, they then listen to me. The next thing John and I covered was allow others to see us as vulnerable. As you know, this has been a struggle for me through the years. I've made massive progress on it, but it's something I have to actively work on. It works really well when I have mastermind retreats and break bones. That is a great way for April to work on her vulnerability. It's a carrying exercise, like a trust fall, except and you have to carry me to places. And you know, it has been something I've struggled with for a variety of reasons, a combination of factors that have sort of aligned in this perfect storm of April not wanting to do vulnerability, but I am getting better. And man, John did that for us today. Like he showed up vulnerable. He showed up authentic. He showed us what that looked like. Leaders go first and he did show us the way today. Next, John reminds us to check in with yourself. Listen to your body. Are you anxious? Are you getting frustrated? Get curious as to why. And if you need to take a pause, you need to sort of de-escalate yourself. I think he called it regulating here or a few tips on how to do that. Number one, pay attention to your breath. Focus on the in and out of your breath. Number two, list. What do I see? Internal and external. Next, number three is what do I hear? internal and external. And number four, what do I feel? What's going on in my body? What do I feel externally? Like, do I feel the seat that I'm sitting in, that it's leather? Where do I feel my feet pushing against the floor? These four steps can really help regulate us. It can take a 10 down to a two pretty quickly. And these are not tools. These are not things that you have to have with you. And I'll tell you, Pivoter, 
This interview today, it felt like kismet for me, just the right time and the right topics. And I hope you felt the same. I hope you felt like as you're listening in on this interview that you were part of this, that you felt like you know, these two people, you know, John and I were really trying to connect, trying to be open and vulnerable and to share some insights that really help you on your path too. We'd love to know what specifically stuck out for you. Either tag us on social media, send us an email at info at pivot-me.com. We'd love to understand what really impacted you. As for now, let's go connect with John. And if you're a dad, a dad that wants to live and create a life in the front row, check out his event in December. Thanks for joining us today and have an awesome day. Thank you so much for dialing in today. And don't forget, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what you hear, give us a five-star review. It means the world to us. Hit me up on Instagram at TheAprilGarcia or check us out online at pivot-me.com. This is all made possible with the support of you listeners, the numerous contributors, and our clients. Our music and production is by the amazing Rockwood Audio. Join me next time for more tips on how to hack success. And until then, make it a great day. Thanks, guys. You guys are amazing.